I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The job of the service of the Word is for us to listen to what God might be trying to tell us. And uh, there are various methods of interpretation and uh, different ways of hearing the Scripture material. Um, you, You are stuck with me as a preacher today, and so you get my method, which is very intuitive and impressionistic. And so really what happens for me in my listening for the Word of the Lord for me in these readings... Um, it's, it's, it's a very old pattern of the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And uh, I've been away from you f- or from the pulpit for a month, but I've been reading the papers because I can't stop. And it's just horrid, you know, horrid, 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 horrid. Every day, what new, what fresh hells await me this morning on my phone? And that's been, you know, apart from the good things about my holiday, every morning was checking up on the news and going, dear God, what now? Um, and... That's the context in which I hear these readings. And it's, in fact, it's a context in which these readings really come to life for me. There's a, there's a, there are a number of words of the Lord for me, which I'm going to try to articulate and share with you. Um, but first, I'm going to start with that context, that context of um, what the heck is happening to our world. I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone in feeling that way. I can feel it on the streets when I drive. There's, I, I don't know if it's Okanagan in the summer and pent-up traveling demand or whatever, but I just think twice about driving six blocks from my house because who knows what's going to happen on those, uh, those roads. Um, I, I hear about it with everyone I talk to, um, that there's just this layer of heaviness in all that we do, and and all of us are vulnerable, all of us are hurting, all of us are struggling through some things in our lives. And because of this general oppressive sense that the world is, is not going the way it should, that um, my, the analogy that came to me, it's like, it's like your arm. If you have a bruise on one place on your arm, that's your own personal vulnerability. And then there's this weight that presses the whole arm. It's just going to make the bruise hurt more. Um, you'll feel it in the bruise. Right, And so as this general weight of our um, worry about the state of the world, I mean, I thought I never had to worry about nuclear war again in my life, and yet here we are. Um, and so, you know, you add nuclear war, you add the pandemic that just won't go away, you, you know, you just add January 6th hearings in the States, what's going on south of the border, and our, you know, what are we going to have as our neighbor, what's going on in Canada? The, the whole thing just makes me a little bit more twitchy and irritable. And so the things that would normally irritate me just a little bit irritate me more. And so when I'm on the road, I'm more irritated by the driving, which if I were a little bit less oppressed in general, um, then I would just, ah, whatever, drivers, right? And so I have less resilience as a result, and I know I'm not alone. This is a common experience that I hear again and again and again, that whatever the particular struggles are in our life, they seem to be heavier. And um, there's a great line. It was attributed attributed to Yogi Berra, but he actually copied it from someone as early as 1937, which is, the future ain't what it used to be, Right? And, and I love that quote because it, it, it's true. It's true. When I was a child, I had an idea of what the future held. And that, and even as my, a young adult, there was this sort of sense of expectation of how our lives together would roll forward and we were progressing ever greater technological uh, 
challenges being solved. We were working towards societal improvement. You know, people were being included that weren't included before, and everything was going well. We were progressing to a better future, and that's all been cast into doubt in the last years. Are we actually progressing into a better future? Are we heading into a new dark age? You know, are, is, is uh, climate change and the end of oil going to spell uh, a, a long, dark winter for civilization, uh, auto, auto, autocratic government, the, the whole thing? So my image of the future is now in question, and I talk to many young people who are doomers because they don't think there is a positive future. They can't even imagine a positive future. The only future they can imagine is one worse than the one that we have today. So the future ain't what it used to be. And that's a way that we all experience that heaviness that we're in. And having spent enough time on that lovely context that we all find ourselves in, now I'm going to talk about the scriptures because there is joy and hope for us in our tradition. Our tradition serves us and buoys us up and reconnects us to what really matters. So, and because I'm impressionistic, all three readings tie into this. There's a, there's a wonderful interplay between the messages of all three readings. And I know my Old Testament professor would be rolling in his grave because you're supposed to pick one and just do justice to that one. But no, I'm, I'm Anglican, so I'm going to talk about all of them. Um, so I'm going to start with the gospel because it has that, it's the, 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 the punchline for this gospel is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the question for reflection is where is your treasure? Um, and when you look at that sense of doom and gloom about what our future holds as a society, as a church, um, the question is, what have we been treasuring? Have we been treasuring the way it was? Have we been treasuring a kind of comfort and complacency that allowed us um, a way of seeing ourselves in the world, which is now, um, uh, now open to question in a way that it hasn't been? And so the question, that question about where your heart and where your treasure is leads to that wonderful word worship and, and the sin of idolatry. Um, worship is worth-ship. It's, when you ask the real question about what you worship, it's what you think is worth, worthy um, of pursuit, of, of seeking. What do you seek in your life? That's what you worship. And we say we worship this, and here we jump into Isaiah, which says you have the show of worshiping God, but then there's no justice, there's no righteousness in the land, so your, worth, your worship is worthless. Your worship is worthless. What you say is the biggest value in your life is clearly not, because otherwise your behavior would be otherwise. And so it poisons even those rituals which I have commanded you to give, to, to perform. And we have that same sense when, when the church participates in great injustices and abuse, where it poisons even the good things about the church, and you can't even hear the, the scriptures or the, the liturgy in the same way anymore when there's this undercurrent of injustice that the church has participated in. And so that's that, 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 that feeling that Isaiah is getting at, where you know, you're doing all the things you're commanded to do, you're making your sacrifices, you're performing your rituals, and it is all worthless because it's a lie. You're not... You're not engaging in that transformation to be that, that light to the world that I have called you to be. So that, 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 that question of where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The question for the church right now is it's a struggle to do church in this whatever pandemic 7.0 that we're in right now. Um, and, and there's a sadness about how our church, that used to be this way and it doesn't feel like it used to, um, but what, what's our, what are we putting our worth in? 
Do we love what it was? Do we, you know, there's a, if you go back to 1937, that great quote about the future ain't what it used to be had a counterpart. The past isn't what it used to be either. And I love that too, because when you were in the past, that was one reality, but then what you do to it when you remember it is something else entirely. And so you can sentimentalize the past. And so the past is now in your mind something different than what it was. My childhood, I was born in 1965. Um, and I am old enough to remember the nuclear winter um, uh, info, their infomercials, I don't know what they were. They were like, here's what a nuclear holocaust would look like, kids. So get under your desks, because that'll save you. <laughs> right? And, and in the 60s, you know, you had the Cuban Missile Crisis. You had, you, we were this close to nuclear war. And we sentimentalize it now. Oh, those glory days when the economy was this and you could just get out of high school and have a place of your own in a car and a, work at a gas station. It was this awesome, this boomer life. Um, and and we, we forget, we selectively forget all the horrible things about those late 60s, early 70s, the race riots, the oppression of the black people in the States, the, the, the struggles in Canada. Um, they're, uh, they're, anyway, I, I, I don't have to go back into all the things that were wrong with the world then, but the point is, then was bad too. Um, and so we come to a lovely Tolkien quote, which is, it's not for us to pick the times in which we live, the question is what we do with the times we're given. And that's where we're at. And that's where I finally come to that second reading, the letter to the Hebrews, when it talks about faith. And I think that, for me, is the word that I'm taking away from these readings today, is in what am I putting my faith? Am I putting it into some sentimental idea of the way it was? Am I putting it into uh, things that were sort of unconsciously part of my assumptions about what my future would look like and how, you know, eventually my wife and I would retire in comfort and we'd travel the world and we'd just tootle around um, and this is what life is? Um, What is my faith really in? Where is my treasure? Where is my heart? And do I have faith? Do I really believe that this is God's world? You know, if I think, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, Is that because God has said, I wash my hands of this? Is that what God does? And clearly, our tradition keeps telling us, because we don't want to believe it, God never gives up. And and the tradition tells us this over and over again because it's hard to believe, precisely because it's hard to believe. Because we look around and we say, really? In this? And so the, the letter to the Hebrews was written to the late first century church which was enduring persecution in the decline of the Roman Empire. Right? And we Christians think sometimes we feel a little persecuted today. If you try being a first century Christian, um, and, you know, and in the decline of the Roman Empire, I mean, this was the same. The world order that they had known for hundreds of years was, was collapsing into chaos. There are barbarians at the borders. And, and what is going to become of our civilization and our comfort and our security? And so here we are, getting, we're actually now more in a position to hear the letter to the Hebrews than we would have been 25 years ago, when things were a little more comfortable and we had that memory of Christendom just sitting comfortably a little bit in the past, but not too far, so that we could still pretend that we were in Christendom if we really wanted to, and many of us did. And now we have a community that is listening to the writer of the Hebrews saying, Put yourselves, you first century Christians, back into the shoes of Abraham, who was given this promise from God 
and that you were going to have children, you're going to have a land, and you're going to have children. And by the end of his life, he had neither land nor children. He had one child, legitimately. Um, and, and that's all Abraham saw of the promises that he had been given. And so in our journey as the people of God, our journey is like that too. We can't say to God, you gave us promises. We're supposed to be blessed. We're supposed to be part of your plan for humanity. So come on, make good on it. And God says, my plans are big. They they take a long time. And you may not see the fruition of it. So I don't know what the future holds for our society, for our church, for this congregation. And the question for me in this is, do I really believe that God is with us or not? And when, you, when push comes to shove, I actually do. Um, that was one of the nice things about my vacation, to get away from it. I was a little burnt out, and I was a little low on motivation. But by the end of my vacation, I went, no, actually, what we do here is more relevant than ever, more necessary for the world than ever. And, and we have this incredible, precious gift as relatively mature Christians um, that is a gift to the world. We don't know if we will see the fruition of what that journey, where that journey will take us or what, how that gift will be offered to the world, but we are a part of it, and it's not up to us to see the results right away. So we continue on our journey together. We support each other in that question of faith. Are we keeping faith? Are we putting our faith, our worship, where it needs to be, which is God, who is in charge of all of this, including this world that insists on going to hell in a handbasket, regularly over and over and over again, just as it did in our parents' generation and their parents' generation and their parents' generation. And so for me, there is a hopefulness that comes through this the, the, these scriptures, particularly in Hebrews, when, when the hopefulness is even though Abraham did not see the full fruition of the promises, the promises were nonetheless absolutely rock solid and did come to fruition. God was active in Abraham's journey in the same way that God is active in our journey. We just can't see the big picture. So our job is simply to be faithful. We don't have to be successful. We don't have to be great we don't have to be amazing. We, we just have to be faithful. That's our fundamental responsibility. And if we do that, we can trust that God's plan will continue to work in the world as God's plan always has and always will. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.